In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. How are we doing today? So, uh, obviously, the season's over. We'd much rather be playing football now, but a long, long time ahead. Lots of moves. The off-season, you know, it's my baby. It's uh, the most exciting time of the year. comes around in the middle of March and free agency begins. But, uh, here we are. I'll hand over to Ian, making the open comments. What we'll do is we'll just open up the questions pretty early and uh, we'll see how this thing goes. I've got no idea what will happen. Hey, enjoy the ride. I think like any Browns offseason, Jack, there's so many unknown questions, right? I mean, we, we get DMs and texts and we chat about it at regular. There's so many facets to an NFL team. And we see, the, obviously, the team's playing now. And we say, well, how do we get to that where the Browns can be that team that plays on the Saturdays and Sundays? You know, watching the Jags not being able to overcome Chad Henney. So now at least we can say we're not the only team in the modern NFL that Chad Henney has made important plays against in the NFL playoffs, right? So there's just there's so much that goes on. And for those that don't know, Jack is a kid on Christmas for the offseason. Like, it is not even close during this season. Like, he'll watch the games and stuff, but the offseason, which is where all his articles pop out, is insane. So obviously, if anybody has questions about cap or players or free agencies, you know, coaches, players, who do we think is going to stay, who we're going to keep, you know, just send the request. Jack's done these before, so he'll be able to manage all of that Paul, hopefully we can get his mic up and going because we all know that people have hundreds of questions for Paul. Yeah, I've got to say, Ian, you sound lovely. That mic sounds great. Jack, you don't sound as good as Ian, mate, I'm afraid to say. Um, guys, did you watch the uh, games last night? What do you think? So I watched the first game. Um, and the thing that annoys me is everyone acts as if like Joe Woods' team is the only piece of, with plays blown wide open. And it just seemed like every time the Chiefs went to drive, Coverage was horrendous, and it's just quite a common trend. And one thing we did see, and there was lots of issues with Watson in the last six games. There was all bright spots, but when a play and coverage broke down, he was able to quickly see it and throw the ball. And why it was like, oh, whatever, he's just going against broken coverage. That's enough to take a serious step forward, because if the quarterback is rushed, they're not going to be able to diagnose broken coverage and then go and throw it at the target they need to. So I think that's something you're going to see in the NFL, and I think will be one of the benefits we'll get from Watson, being able to see the errors and uh, hurt the, the defense where they deserve to be hurt. Jack, I think the point you're making there, and I, I couldn't agree more, is as we see, well, so we're going to see it today. So for I'm going to make a bold prediction. The number of plays today that are going to be made outside of structure is going to be off the charts because Josh Allen is the king of off-structure you know, off plays. Now, there's debate whether Brian Dayball was the guy who was, you know, helping him keep the turnovers or down or not, but that's one thing. But Watson does have that ability. And I know that there's this idea. I have my personal take on Watson, but on the field, the guy is athletic. Are there flaws to his game? Yes. But when we see Burrow today, when we see Josh Allen, even Brock Purdy, I mean, Mr. Irrelevant is Mr. Can make plays outside of structure. So that is an element to the NFL. Now I remember having a conversation this would have been seven, eight years ago with Scott Turner, uh, who had been North Turner's son at the time. 
And they were talking about how hard it was to just contain. And this was really as Kaepernick was coming in, that mobile quarterback, because the NFL was such a structured, in-the-box type of offense. And now that it's not, how are we adapting? You know, I know yesterday during the Jags-Chiefs game, they talked so much about how the Jags love to exploit defenses between the seams, between the hashes. And that's mainly because so much of the offenses in the NFL have become outside of structure, outside of the pocket, plays on the boots. And that's one thing I think Stefanski does have a hold on. So I'm curious, you know, what type of offense do we think we're going to see come 2023 with a Watson who's been through a full offseason, understanding a playbook and becoming, you know, more in tune with what this offense can do? Yeah, and I've, I've got positive vibes. But Stefanski, every time he's worked with quarterback, Kevin, um, Kirk Cousins went from middle attack to had a really, really good season under him. Um, Baker Mayfield, you've seen Baker Mayfield post Kevin um, and pre Kevin, there was issues, and he had that one amazing season. Um, and then, hey, Jacoby Brissett, <laughs> he literally told me before the season, um, coming into the, uh, this year, and uh, Jacoby Brissett, like top eight quarterback, was like EPA and data like that. I'd have probably said you're drunk. Um, and here we are, and he, he had a good season. So it takes time, but I'm expecting a good Watson. We only need top eight quarterback play uh, and top eight off top 16 defense, and you you get a serious run at the Super Bowl. You don't need to be like top three in either of them, and you just got to be above average across the board. So throwing it up to any questions, guys. If anyone wants to, if you want to jump up, hey, what do you reckon they'll do at this position in free agency? What do you think they'll do? Um, do you like this guy? Do you like that guy? Them requested and, uh, Jack, yeah. how much would you pay our backup running back? Six, eight, ten million? What do you think from a running a running back payer like yourself? Are you breaking the bank for a running back too next year? No, so I, I was banging the drum last year saying I was even up for cutting Green Hunt to save six point two five million. And I said you can spend it anywhere else, whether it's a wide receiver three, a defensive tackle next to Taven Bryan. Um I, I just want that money in starters. I have no interest in paying backup. I can deal with an edge three, offensive tackle three, just because it's rotation position. That guy, on a good day, plays 40% of snaps. So I get the point of that. I'm not paying a guy to take me chop off the field. That is not a good use of resource. So um, I'm happy with, like, Dionis Johnson, Ford, um, whether it's Vaughn, some dude on day three in the draft. Let's not invest any assets in running back. I'll bring Dionis Johnson back. I think you can do a deal. You've got guys like Marlon Mack that bounce around practice squads. You don't have min deal and some guarantees of getting the only chance back, I reckon. Surely, guys, the um, Browns running back room is complete. We know the three guys to be. Uh, I can't see it being anyone else unless we can sign the Ernest. Yeah, obviously, if they don't sign the Ernest, there'll be some cheap guys around there. Um, you had Mostert, um, had a great year. Um, that could be one that if, if he's available again, um, I'd throw a couple of mil at him and just know this dude's going to come in and do a job. Um, you can get guys. You don't need to spend money. And even if it's just a case of keep cycling guys through until someone looks good, happy to do it. Jack, one of the things that we talk about really kind of in our internal chats is free agency, where the Browns are going to spend money. I think a lot of people are – Browns fans tend to do this. They take the biggest positions of need, right? In this case, we're talking about defensive tackle, wide receiver, stuff like that. And we're like, let's go buy the most expensive free agent at that location. You know, in this case, obviously, Deron Payne's name keeps coming up. And I think, is that something you could see with the Browns' current cap situation, them attacking a big player on defense? Or what is our thoughts in terms of how we're going to spend the money that we do have across the free agency board? Yeah, so most money in free agency is all going to go on defense. 
The reason for that is nearly every offensive player is facing 10 million plus at this stage, which is bordering on unprecedented um, with the level of investment across the offensive side of the ball. Um, I have no doubt it'll be the most expensive 11 starters on the offensive side in the NFL. Um, the defense, there's going to be a lot of money spent there. I don't think you're going to see big splashes because generally any free agent spends 10 million plus, they don't work out and they usually cut after two years. And that is just a rule across the NFL. That's not Browns being a free agency. That's basically everyone's bad at free agency. Because if a player's good, they're re-signed or they're traded. They don't use free agency. Um, so that's something to keep in mind there. I don't think Jerome Payne would be the answer people want him to be. Because if you sign him, there is not on consequences. You can have Miles Garrett and Jerome Payne. That suddenly looks great. And then when you get told the room's going to be like Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togiai, um, Winfrey, Winovich, that's not the quality you want. You need six guys. I would say five, sort of a minimum, but six guys ideally. You need three edges, three defense tackles, because Miles Garrett's only going to play aggressively 75%, but ideally sort of 70% of snaps. So what happens on the other 30%? You can't just have like Jerron Payne and Garrett doing great, and then 30% of the game, you send some Jags out there, and boom, it's a touchdown because you can't get any pressure. So I think spread that money around, just bring in several guys. Like defensive tackle, like Matt Ioannidis, is six million, great signing. Um, he could have been that money where if you just moved off Kareem Hunt last year. Um, I think bring back Taven Bryan on a few mil. Look at edges of core of four um, for the Texans. Really good. Five million. Could easily bring him in. Um, looking for the connection for Jim Schwartz. You've got um, Walker from the Titans who come in and be your third edge. Not much above the minimum. A couple of mil. He, he'll come in and play there. You've just got to be able to get after the quarterback on every pass and play. And that means you've got to have four guys that they don't have to be world beaters. Four, six, eight guys where you go, they, they can cause a bit of pressure. I think the one thing that is hard to deny when we look across the playoff teams, right? We watched Kansas City yesterday, watched the Eagles. They have waves of guys, right? They have waves of defensive linemen coming in. I mean, look at Kansas City. Yes, they hit with Chris Jones in the middle, but they've surrounded him, you know, with the Frank Clarks, with the Carlos. They've been able to go out and get these veteran guys to cack. I mean, even during Brady's heyday, they talked about how much pressure bothers him. I've been banging on the drum since last year about this. You know, obviously this was before we made the 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 trade for Watson about getting a guy like Carl Loftus. We need to get youthful on the defensive line because what ends up happening is is to move the Allens, the Burrows, you know, the Trevor Lawrence's now and these guys that we hypothetically think we're going to be seeing in these playoffs for the next few years is you have to make them uneasy in the pocket. If we're going to allocate all of these resources to the Denzel Wards, to Greg Newsom's on the back end, we still are going to have to find youthful guys to go with Miles Garrett in the front end. That's why I think that second pick, that second round pick that we have is almost going to have to go defensive line. I know there's a lot of people out there beating the drum for wide receiver. And I say, well, look at Kansas City. They lost Tyreek Hill. They have basically a tight end and a bunch of wide receiver threes. And here they are going to the AFC championship game, right? So at some point, we're going to have to move resources because we're not used to building a roster around a forty-plus million-dollar quarterback. It's just not something since '99 we've had to do, given the ineptitude that we've had at the position. So we're going to have to draft and develop. Andrew Barry is going to have to figure out how do I get guys that can come in right away and play. Now I know we have guardrails in terms of age and stuff like that. So one of the disadvantages when you get a Tommy Togiai is like he's twenty-one years old. I mean, we saw with Devon Hamilton, who is another Ohio State Buckeye who's, I believe, a year and a half older than Tommy, third year in the league for the Jags making plays. Well, I think every one of us can sit there and go, when I was 21 versus I was almost 23, I was stronger, I was faster, I was bigger. Like, you hit that peak before coming down. So we really have to invest on youthful defensive line, which is why I don't really like going after 
you know, a Brandon Graham or a Justin Houston free agency, just because these guys are my age. You're not, you're not building anything. You're just stop gapping a hole that needs to be filled. And the longer we kick that can down the road, the longer it's going to take to develop people. I think it's certainly a balancing aspect to it. You can't just rely on old dudes, but at the same time, you need to, you need to get by the week one, six guys that you feel really good at getting after. And that none of them are going to come through the draft because even if you draft someone with that second round pick, they're not going to be ready week one to play 40% of snaps. Um, it's not like you go in first round and you've got, say, Miles um, Garrett and you're like, hey, that guy can play 40% of snaps week one. So you're going to need to build that base. And then you've got guys, Alex Wright can hopefully develop into something. Winfrey can hopefully develop into something. So you need to keep adding on both ends. You need the instant and you need to bring guys through. And it, it doesn't mean going after a clowny and putting all your eggs in one basket. It means spread it around a little bit and have a few guys that can do a job and you just want them to cause chaos. I've got to say, Jack, I don't know what you've done with your mic, but you sound three times better than you did earlier, mate. Um, while we're talking about defensive ends, did you see that Miles Garrett is in uh, the UK at the moment? Yeah, he's been watching Aston Villa, which used to be the team of Randy Lerner owned back in the day. So, uh, swings in circles. We all know Miles is a, a, a cultured international man, but it would be nice if we could find him kind of a reliable compliment, so to say. Because the one thing is, is when you have that alpha at pass rush with Miles, finding that second fiddle, that Robin, so to say, as Jadavian Clowney doesn't ever want to be called for his own words, which I got to make sure I don't spin him out of context there. But they're going to have to find... I think you're the guy you're talking about out of Houston, that Akaranquo or you know however you pronounce his name, I think when you start complimenting guys like him and a second-round pick, you start kind of bridging that gap because... I think bringing in a 35-year-old edge or a 36-year-old somebody to play, you know, to be edge two, it's not sustainable. You look at all of these roles where these older guys go in, to your point, Jack, they're playing 20, 25% of snaps. Like, they're playing on third downs. They're only playing in obvious pass rush positions, and you're only seeing them for a certain percentage of the time. Yeah, if you had a room which was, say, hey, Miles Garrett's 25 million a year, you bring in Okronkwa at 5 million a year for the next three years, you bring in Alex Wright, who's already there, he's got three years left, and you draft someone this year, and even if it's, say, the third, fourth round, you've got four guys that can hopefully be solid pieces for the next three, four years. You've got, say, Walker as an older guy you bring in of going, hey, just give us something now. You've got five guys that are going to cause chaos. And in a year's time, you're going back to the draft. You're like, all, all four of the leading guys are great. Let's bring in um, another draft pick. And we keep pushing people up and, hey, if we get to the stage where we've got so many talented players we can trade off one of our depth edge pieces, then that's where we need to be. You need to have a surplus of great stuff because if you want to trade someone off, someone will always take extra edge rushes, they'll take extra corners, they'll take extra everything. And then you can flip them for a position you need more talent. Jack, I haven't followed your last like day or so on OBR. Have you done the what the trade value is on Greg Newsom? So I think it literally just came out now, if I'm honest. Um, I think it was because these were written a little while ago, um, like last week. Let me just pull it up here. Um, I have him at a second round pick. So just to explain this series, that last season when I was saying, hey, we could do better with 6.25 million than Kareem Hunt um, as a backup running back. Um, people were telling me, hey, you just trade him and get a second round pick and I was trying to explain to people at the time that a fourth would be a good return, but it could be a fifth or a sixth. Um, 
just because hey, we always look at our own players through orange tinted glasses and expect the most out of them. Um, and it's just looking through what's the trade market at different positions, the contract someone's on, what do we think they can get? I think a second round pick's realistic. Um, he's got, what, three more years on cost control because of the fifth year option. So another team would probably happily take him on as a starting outside corner because you're thinking, what, 20 million for three years? I don't think it's even that much, but it's one that uh, wouldn't you want him. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that's where the market sits. And a slot corner, that's a lot of money for a slot corner. He's a really good outside corner, but if you're happy with Emerson, do you potentially do that? But with Schwartz, if we're going to see an uptick in main coverage, you need to be able to rotate your corners a lot more because players just get knackered a lot more playing man. So there's a few moving pieces. But if I can get, say, Jerry Judy, well, suddenly my ears are peaked and uh, we can cause some absolute chaos at wide receiver. Yeah, one of the reasons I mentioned Newsom is because we obviously know that with Ward, with Emerson, with Newsom, you have three guys for two spots. And Ward's obviously on the big money deal. Emerson being a uh, third-round pick. Now still give us some roster flexibility. Newsom may be the guy that has the value, especially if you're only going to use him inside. We do know that Jim Schwartz believes, and I think when the D coordinator stuff was going on and people were interviewing and all that other stuff, it was like, well, is he going to run a 4-3, a 3-4, a base, a 5-2, a bear? You know, what's at the end of the day, I, I've, no, I've talked to enough guys in the league throughout the years to tell you when Jim Schwartz sat down with the Browns, they had sent him the all-22s of the Browns defensive players and said, these are the guys he probably spent 10, 15 minutes scanning each player and coming up with a role. Jim Schwartz is a veteran in this league. Just because he played a certain defense in Philly doesn't mean he's going to play that exact defense here in Cleveland, right? They didn't have a Jeremiah Wusu-Koromo. They didn't have certain pieces that the Browns do. So you have to adapt to the talent you have. So if we don't have the D-line, I think I had this conversation with somebody last week. If we don't have the D-line, you're not going to rush four drop seven if those four guys is Miles Garrett and a bunch of schlubs, right? Because at the end of the day, you're going to give a quarterback 8, 10, 12 seconds to throw the ball, and I don't care what NFL secondary you're talking about, you're not going to be able to hold up that long. You're going to have to blitz a JOK. You're going to have to safety blitz. You're going to have to corner blitz. Ultimately, you're going to have to come up with things until the roster evolves to the talent you want. And with corner, it may be one of those things where we can use a Newsom to give us a piece on the front seven. That's kind of what if a second-round pick I'd be inclined to see if maybe you could figure out a way to push that into the late end of the first. I think, you know, a team like San Francisco or something like that, I don't know how many extra picks they have. I don't have my draft capital in front of me. But finding one of these perennial teams that says, hey, I have a first-round corner if you're willing to give up a late first pick just so we can start building and finding that depth. Yeah, I think it's something certainly in play. Uh, we'll let someone in to ask a question. Um, and if anyone else has got questions, let us know. I think the likelihood is all three corners are back for next year and then they make a decision on one of them the following off-season because, hey, that's when it's fifth-year options and stuff like that. Oh, the guy who was in to ask the questions left the chat. So, hey, if anyone else wants to ask a question, send in the request, jump up, whether it's which free agent we should go after, views on free agents, stuff like that. Um, hey, let us know what you think. So, yeah, it's one that I expect everyone back for one year. But if they find someone that is on the market and available, you've got to be tempted because they just need to keep getting more and more talent. And it's not – everything is addition by subtraction. To get better somewhere, you have to get worse somewhere else. It's just how the league works. Whether it's draft investment, free agency investment, you can't have 22 superstars. I did find it odd that the minute I mentioned about going edge in round two, right after that segment is when O.E. and or O.I. and as we all call him, jumps in. 
I'm sure he's still pounding the table for his wide receiver in the second round. So, Owen, what do you think? Do you think, knowing what you know now, second round edge, second round wide receiver, have we been able to bring you over to the dark side? What's uh, I think you're going to have to request to answer my question here because I'm asking you one. We're going to have to find out if he if I've been able to convince him. We've got a request from somebody else. So, Mr. BG, I'm a guy that does all the spaces in my afternoon, your morning. How are you? Good, Jack. How are you? Hey, it's, it's good. It's NFL Sunday. So, anytime you've got an NFL Sunday, it's a good it's always day. a good day. It's exactly right. I mean, I know we touched on this before. I know we talked about it just a little bit. Um, just looking at the structure that will be in place going into next year financially, some of the moves that we may or may not make, some of the cuts that we may or may not make, do you still see no pathway to going after a guy like Deron Payne? So, yeah, on, on Deron Payne, you can go after a guy like that, but it's just what the knock-on implications are. Um, and I'd say the Rams are probably a perfect example. If you have a team full of stars and you're all in, screw the future, it can work in a year. But then we saw this year when you get one or two injuries, uh, when you have three superstars, suddenly everything falls apart really, really, really quickly. And if they wouldn't have won that Super Bowl, and quite frankly, they shouldn't have beat the 49ers in the, I want to say, championship game. They got super lucky. This whole team is falling apart. and No one looks at the Rams as a model you want to chase. So it's do you want to risk it all in one year and then you come up against an unstoppable Mahomes, an unstoppable um, Allen, an unstoppable Burrow, potentially. And it's all then blowing this whole roster up in 2025, 2026. I think I'd much rather have a team where we go, we're going to have 10 years of, we're going to be in the playoffs, nine of them. Let's play a bit of luck and see what happens. So I'll let Ian answer um, before we jump into our next request. My, my question on Deron Payne is, is like, do we think he is a player that comes in and all of a sudden we're equal to the Chiefs or the Bills or the, you know, even the Bengals for that matter? I just look at him as being the first three years of his career, he's kind of finding his way along a star-studded Washington D-line. I mean, you're talking about Jonathan Allen. You're talking about uh, Sweat or Smoot, whatever the guy at the edge is, Montez. They have all these first and second round picks up there. Then the guy decides, all right, I'm going to be a pass rusher for the last two years. So when we look at it, we go, all right, is he the stopper to the run defense? Like, I just, I don't see what value Deron Payne coming here brings, especially if he wants $20 million, which is pass rusher level money. You know, that that's, I guess my question is, is do we think he's that much of an impact player? from a guy who's never been a top 10 defensive tackle, well, yet he wants to be paid yeah, by Yeah, and, and I, I have visions of him and Garrett on the same line together, or God forbid, next to each other. I mean, I've always made the comparison to T.J. Watt. He's got Cam Hayward. Miles Garrett's really never had anybody even close to that caliber on that defensive line since he's been here. And if we're going to play Jim Schwartz-style football, we got to play – we got to pay attention to that defensive tackle room, wouldn't you think? So I'll just come back on this and we'll jump into um, showing this question. Um, I, I think part of the risk is everyone wants to look at the best case scenario with Doran Payne. What about the worst case scenario? He's had one breakout season. What's going to say that's next season as well? And that's a real risk when you're throwing that much money at free agent because you're going to have to take money probably out of the linebacker room, out of other rooms to pay him because it's so expensive that suddenly you have bitches, your Winovich or Alex Wright is your starting edge opposite Miles Garrett next season. That's suddenly a room that, well, we've got big problem at edge and it hasn't really solved the D-line. So I think there's a balancing act to look here and go, 
can you what's the line in Moneyball? Create them in the acrimony or whatever it is, where you get three guys to generate everything you can get into Ron Payne and you're not then at so much risk that John Payne gets injured in training camp and the whole D-line's finished for the season. You know what I want? Because oh, sorry, Jack. That is what, 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 but we're going to jump to someone else's question, but we'll come back to you um, if there's no more requests. Shannon, thank you for joining. What's your question? Got to unmute. Guys, it's tough to find the unmute button. Because it says mic is on or mic is off in the bottom left corner. That's that's the area. If it's red, you're muted. <laughs> Ian, it's a little bit more trouble when you first do it for the first time. It took me about five minutes to work out. This coming from the guy that owns the media company. <laughs> well, while we're waiting for Shannon, uh, Jack, did we take into it? Because when we talked before now, I wasn't considering the loss of um, Kareem Hunt's money. And now all of a sudden, maybe even Newsom's money. So does that factor into anything? Newsom's on peanuts. Um, and if you trade in Newsom, you're probably going to end up spending just as much on the um, – slot corner that you bring in to replace him so you wouldn't really free up much money there and hey the money that from cream hunt's already been spent that's gone into conk and that's gone on to other guys so generally what teams will have is a rough budget on and this does change and paul de podesta spoke about this it changes when you pay a call suddenly you have to take a bit of money out of every single room to pay a guy 46 million a year versus what baker was in about i want to say seven eight million a year um average across his rookie deal so that Money's already gone. It's already in different rooms um, on the offensive side. So you're probably, I'd say, about 40 million is the budget for the D-line. Miles takes 25 of that. So that's suddenly, there's only 15 million left for probably everyone else. Um, and that's a very, very real consequence of having a phenomenal player like Miles Garrett. Had no Miles Garrett, we're sat here and going, yeah, you can get a Deron Payne. The fact is, I don't think Deron Payne's even getting free agency, if I'm going to be honest. I expect him to be signed um, either on a tag, especially... If they're going with a rookie quarterback next year, which is the rumour at the moment, but I never believe teams until they, they prove it. But if they're rolling with Howe, they've got enough money to pay Jerome Payne easily. How do you feel about the DeForest Buckner situation? I don't, th- I, I don't think they can go and spend $20 million on any player, if I'm honest. It, whatever position on the roster. You think he'll still command that much? I, I think, yeah, he'll go get big money. And I also don't see the front office cutting him there. Nothing we've seen from the Colts speaks rebuild that every year they're trying to just go and have a good season um, because it's the same GM. If the GM gets sacked, then you see some movement. But any GM that's invested a first-round pick in a trade isn't usually cutting that player they've traded for. Um, it's just not how teams want to operate because you do stuff like that and suddenly the owner's looking at you going, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, and then you might get sacked. So if you want to look at around the league for the, the team that is chasing above average every single season, it's the Colts and Chris Ballard. Um, drafting guards and stuff in the top of the first round is just a great way to waste assets, in my opinion. Um, Wilson, you can go to the Hall of Fame. A guard is never winning you a Super Bowl. Guys, question for you. Last night, the presenter or commentator said that all eight of the quarterbacks have come through uh, the draft scheme. We've obviously brought someone in uh, from another team. How do you think that is? Or is it just by chance that eight teams got lucky? Or do you think there's more science behind it? I think there's a lot of luck for a player like Deshaun Watson to be on the trade market. When do you ever get a a decent quarterback traded? Um, Unless they're like a serious injury risk of, hey, no one knew what Peyton Manning was going to be. Tom Brady might have done nothing in Tampa. Um, But usually if if a quarterback's getting traded, something's gone seriously wrong. Um, 
so it's, it's a very, very rare edge case. Um, and the other thing is, hey, if you look at the great teams that win Super Bowls, they rarely ever have a running back. Um, so that's something else to keep in mind. If It's not just one way of winning, but um, there's moves you can make that increase your chances and lower your chances of winning. Super Bowl. I agree with you 100%. Not only that, but I'll throw this into the Deshaun thing. How many quarterbacks do you see get moved like that in their prime or literally going into their prime? It's unheard of. And hopefully he's here for a good 10-something years. And that, that's another danger of this and throw loads of money. Tom Brady walked out on the Patriots because they blew the cap. They traded a second for Mohamed Sanu. They went all in to try and win it. And then he went, well, I don't want to stay here because this isn't a team that's got a great potential to win now. So they, he went, let's another team. And that's a very realistic scenario. If the Browns go all in, suddenly after five years of the Sean Watson, he's like, yeah, I'm not extending here. I'm going to go to another team. And there's more player empowerment than ever before. There's more feeling that they can jump around teams. And that creates the risk that we don't want to be here in, what, four more years' time going, we've thrown everything at it. We've blown the cap. We've got no good players left because we've traded all our hikes. And the roster sucks. We've got no quarterback. Um, yeah, enjoy, enjoy, like, losing seasons for the next four years while you build it back up um, because it's been run that much into the floor. So it's a balancing act. Be aggressive. Don't be all in or stupid. I've got, There's also the... Go I've got a question. Um, why has no one picked up Odell Beckham? I thought he'd been signed up by now. I believe it's injury-related. I think his knee... The Cowboys tried it out. I don't think he can pass There's the physical. some issues going on. Yeah. And to be fair, I think Odell emotionally, just based on everything you see about what he's doing, obviously the birth of his son recently, he won the Super Bowl last year. So I'm not sure the fire is burning yet really for him. But in terms of Browns fandom, you know, we talked about on the podcast how it's going to be very difficult to be a Browns fan, but also it's going to be different because we've never had the quarterback, right? The big money. I mean, we could go back to like the Jeff Garcia where we got him in free agency or the Jake Delhomme, but obviously we're talking about guys that to Brian's point were past their primes. Well, the roster construction around that quarterback. I mean, we look at Seattle already when they gave Russ all that money, how much they had to let all those defensive players go. Like I know Les Snead kind of gives people the belief that the cap isn't real, but at the end of the day, like the opportunity cost that Jack talks about so often is pivotal with these decisions, you know, the 20 million on a DeForest Buckner or Deron Payne, does that get you over the top? No, not necessarily. Well, how do we maybe use 10, five and five to find three guys that can inch us a little bit closer. that can plug more holes because what we don't want to get to your point earlier, Jack about the Rams is so top heavy with a roster that the slightest injury derails everything. I mean, I think we saw this year, we had a healthy team. We were kind of just never really finding a form. Well, if all of a sudden, we're in it, we're 10 and five and we lose a Nick Chubb or we lose a Deshaun Watson. If you have all of your money in just top heavy players and nothing behind it, the season's going to come off the rails almost instantaneously. So we got to kind of teach ourselves as fans. Don't always look at the most expensive free agent and say, that's the guy I want. You know, it's that idea where, well, just because he's the most expensive doesn't always mean he's the best. You know, we talked a little bit about Schwartz. It could be that Schwartz, Jack, and we, I don't even think we've really talked about this. Schwartz goes man, and we say, all right, Emerson, you're going to always follow the big receiver into the slot, you know, whether it's the Cooper, the Julio Jones, whoever. They're going to follow that guy in there, so Newsom moves to the outside here. So now we don't necessarily need that third safety anymore. We're going to drop one of these safeties. You're going to see the roster start shaping over the years. So don't always look at that free agency bundle and just go right to the top and the guy that's demanding the most money and say, that's the guy I want. That's the mindset we're really going to have to change. 
Yeah, there's a great study by Eric Eager at PFF. Um, I think it was probably about three, four years ago now. He looked at all the data for teams in the past and what was really stable across the defence. And it wasn't actually how good their first, second and third player was. It was number five to eight, I believe it was. Um, or it might have been four to seven. Of However good that group was, tended to show you how good the defence is. Because the offence can be very starled. If you have Mahomes and Kelsey, it doesn't really matter too much what the rest of the guys are doing, as long as they can do average. Um, whereas if your defence is Miles Garrett, Tenzer Ward and a load of Jags, then the team's just going to pass it quick so Miles Garrett's um, irrelevant and they'll throw it the other side of Denzel. So it's very much on defence about the average and where's the middle of that defence look rather than the star power to do something equal. Because, hey, Miles Garrett gets a sack on one out of every 27 snaps. Well, that means there are 26 snaps where we need something else to happen. Um, and that means it's just so difficult to build a defence around a couple of stars. Um, so I think it's much better to spread that money out and just... Bring And it's about elevating the entire average because the reason the Pats were so good for so long, it wasn't just Tom Brady took a discount because that saved about five mil a year, which if you look at five mil a year, Tate and Bryant, you're telling me Tate and Bryant's the difference between Super Bowls. It wasn't that. It was they had an absolute loaded middle tier there. They didn't pay too many people big money, but they had so many good to great players and having a roster full of them really allows you to kick on. So, I think it's about smart investment rather than, Ian said, the big tickets. Um, free agency is about filling needs for one year and until you can draft guys that you want to pay because if the guy was that good, his team wouldn't want to be letting him go into free agency. Yeah, and I'm a big believer in depth. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all on board with what we talked about before, Jack. I mean, I'd rather have four or five quality guys than one, you know, superstar because that guy can go down at any time and then what he got left. I get that. I also think what's going to affect things going forward is once we start winning, I think that will also affect who comes here, who doesn't come here for the most money or, you know, for the discount like we always talk about, so on and so forth. Because Andrew Barry, I think the one thing he has done pretty well is bringing those guys in on those one-year deals and keep rotating them through. And as when we start winning, I think that is even going to become easier. How do you feel about that? Yeah, and like how many other like, Nut jobs like me were excited about signing Pochic to a uh, 1.2 million deal last. Um, whatever it was, it was tiny, but it was going. Hey, this is this is a great addition to a team because it's cheap. He's played lots of snaps and he knows what he's doing. Ideally, we would never have seen him play this year. Nick Harris was leading the battle in camp to be the starter, um, but it's one where that's the kind of guy where you go, yeah, I'm, ha- I'm really happy about that because he's cost nothing. He might cost 1.2 million, but we were going to pay somebody else 900,000 so he's cost like 300 grand and you bring someone in that ideally you don't need to use them but they're there to be ready what you don't want to do is spend like four or five million on backups in places where you don't expect them to play so it's when Andrew Berry spent money more shrewdly the returns have tended to be a lot better um it's just that bigger ticket items that haven't been as successful but that's not an Andrew Berry thing that's an NFL wide thing the more guys you suddenly get that are on massive, massive deals. And, hey, I, I was looking at wide receiver for an article coming out next week or week after. Um, Christian Kirk actually played really well. Who in the NFL wasn't slagging off that deal? Most free agency deals are bad, especially when you're paying a dude 18 million a year. If you want to look at Kirk and Cooper, there's not overly massive difference where you expect them to see. They're both right up there and had good seasons. So um, it can be an interesting one. And some dudes do work out and get panned at the time. But generally... You'd much rather draft a guy, hey, take T. Higgins, for instance. Drafting the second round, been awesome. Um, 
he's not going to get to free agency, I don't think. Either he's going to get paid or they'll tag and trade him because someone will go and pay a load of money. So, um, yeah, if someone's good, they're probably not in free agency. So take it cautiously. Look for the cheap guys. I'd much rather sign five guys for five million than spend 20 million on one guy. Well, for every Christian Kirk, there's a Kenny Galladay, right? And that's kind of the the gamble that you take in free agency because if the guy is becoming a free agent, he's either becoming a free agent because the team likes him enough, but he wants too much money. Or in the case of like John Johnson, the team just literally did not have any money to pay him or the team just flat out doesn't want him. Right. A coach got fired. They're shifting coordinators. Like that's realistically what free agency is. Unless you're talking about the second and third tier guys where maybe I'm a second tier guy at a team that, feels I, once I get my shot, can come in and move up the depth chart, so to say, for another team. So I think really those are the guys where there may be a currently, and that's really where the guy from the Texans you're talking about, who's always been kind of this edge 3-4, how does he get it to where now he's edge 2-3? goes from 35% of the snaps to 45 to 50. So you have to kind of start looking at guys who are trying to move up the depth chart, not necessarily to the first chair, first position seat. We're talking about guys that are trying to move up the depth chart farther down because I think that's where you're going to find you know that Tim Settles types deals and you know those guys because realistically remember last year everybody wanted to go out and get Akeem Hicks you know hurt most of the year did he really help Tampa no that have been 10 million dollars spent on Akeem Hicks that doesn't help you yeah no it's, it's stuff like looking at the value moves and just to touch on say Jim Swartz because we haven't podcast I don't think since uh he got announced. We've been a bit lazy recently, guys. Uh, we'll get it sorted. Um, I looked through at free agents that played with him either at the Eagles or either at the Titans. Three guys really stood out. So there's an edge, Demarcus Walker. Um, he'd be an edge three on the team. You wouldn't ask him to come up and be a two, but he would be a much better three than, say, a Winovich. Um, I think that's certainly one they could look at. Um, there's a linebacker for the Eagles, but I don't expect them to hit the market. So TJ Edwards, I think they'll go Walker instead. And everything looks to Walker being fine. Um, and pretty much for anyone to return who's currently a free agent, I'd say Walker's the most likely. And then two guys in the safeties, um, Marcus Eeps, Epps, E-P-P-S. Um, he's one that I could certainly see them making a move on if he's there. The Browns might actually have a free safety. How incredibly game-changing that would be. Um, the only one on our roster last year was Richard LeCount. That's how bad it was. And then there's a couple of guys in free agency. The one that interests me the most, I think it's pronounced Kalu, K-A-L-U, I believe. Um, he'd just be a third safety replacing Ronnie Harrison. So they're the sort of three guys that I think would come in and look good. Jesse Bates would be so fun just to stick it to the Bengals. Um, but yeah, if, if you look at more fit and Schwartz, um, I think Eeps um, is a good one there. So it's not crazy additions. You add like Okoronkwo as an edge. You add Ioannidis as a DT or Sheldon Rankins. Um, you can add lots and lots of good players. Let's incre- increase that benchmark to average. Sign them to your deals because if they don't, they're not good, you can get rid of them. And if they are really, really good, you can get a comp pick. And if they're just average, you might go, actually, you- you're happily doing well. We'll bring you back next year and you can keep playing on sort of four or five minutes. How do you feel about, um, I can't remember his first name now, but I heard he's a free agent and I'm not sure about that. That's why I'm asking. Uh, the linebacker from Tennessee, I think his name is Long. Yeah, I expect him to get paid big money, and I don't think he's going to be leaving Tennessee. So okay. um, if, if there's something we look at, the similarities between Andrew Berry and Harry Roseman, neither GM likes to spend money on D-tackle, uh, sorry, linebackers. So I, I don't expect lots of money thrown there. I think you're going to look at a one-year deal for Walker again. He'll come back. And to be fair, Walker has been such an incredible addition. I was looking back last year on the free agency class. 
I cannot believe they got him at the price they got him. Um, he should have easily been demanding more than 4.25 mil. Um, the, the guy's really good. Um, yeah, he got injured last year and that sucked. But if you have four injuries in any position room, it's going to suck. And we had like four injuries at centre. We had four injuries at linebacker. If that stuff happens, you've kind of just got to lump it and accept it. Have we heard anything on Taki Taki um, in terms of recovery? I haven't seen anything on him because he's another one that I think we all kind of worried was going to leave agency because he had started to kind of fill into a nice little role. I would be shocked. And they if, kind of moved him into that. Yeah, line. I would be shocked if he's even ready for training camp. I mean, he got hurt late, right? I think it was what late October, early November. I think it was with the ACL. So yeah, I, so, and he's a free agent. Luckily, is a non. Luckily, is that's why you bring him back. Yeah. Luckily, is a non-skill player. You know, the ACL recovery time is a touch slower and a touch, I should Quicker, say, shorter yeah. than like an Odell or somebody like that where you're talking about a lot more cuts and stuff like that with a linebacker, you can stabilize a little better. So I'll just be curious if he just says, hey, I'm going to come back because normally if you keep Woods, you say, oh, I'm going to come back to a defense I know. They obviously moved on from Woods. So is he going to come back and learn a new defense under Schwartz or go sign somewhere I, else? I wouldn't have a problem right? with him on a, like a cheap one-year deal and put him on, start him out on the pup list. And see how it works out. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Because Jack was talking about that five to eight player on the depth. I think Taki's one of those guys. Right? Yeah. Those games where he would make a forced fumble or an interception were generally games we won. And we looked at it and said, hey, Taki stepped up, made this play. You know, obviously sometimes he had trouble tackling in space. But to your point about Walker, Jack, he was just a guy, smart, knew his role, obviously developed under, you know, Darius Leonard, who now goes by, I forget what, what is his new name? I forget. I think. Yeah, Shaquille Leonard. Um, so this was a guy that was looking for that role, right? We talked about this was a guy that was linebacker three because they had Bobby Okariki as well. This was a guy that was linebacker three and said, hey, I can I can move up the depth chart somewhere else. Goes and signs a free agent deal somewhere else, moves up, improves his place. So if you're looking for the type of free agents I think the Browns really target, you look at that Anthony Walker style thing where they're three, four on the depth chart looking to move Well, since up. we're talking about linebackers, um, how do you guys feel about Tony oh God, Fields? This is Jack's favorite. How do you guys feel about Tony Fields? I thought he played pretty well I mean, his, down the his dad Can his dad play wide out? His dad's got some good hands, man. <laughs> I thought he played well down the stretch. How do you guys feel about him? I, I think I'm not expecting that much out of him, if I'm going to be honest. So, if I'm looking at a linebacker room, I need the, the key three. I need a Mike, a Will, and a Sam. Then I need a got Mike. I need a depth guy. And pretty much just two depth guys that can play special teams. And if someone gets injured, they can come in and do something. Um, and I still think he sits in that group. I'm not ready to put him in the core four yet. Um, it's just going to come down to, well, who's that for? Because if they bring back Walker, you've got Joe K as well. And then as the Sam, you could bring back Taki Taki, but I'd expect him to start on Pup. Um, so it could be someone else that you throw in there until he's ready. Um, it, it, you could use sort of uh, Richard Raglan, um, just loves hitting people. Um, and hey. If, if that, if you know you can send him out there, we don't want this guy doing coverage. Just hit people. Then he's a useful guy to keep around. And then if you lose Taki Taki for the first six weeks, after week six you can go right. You're the weakest piece in this room, and you can let that guy go because no one's going to have that much money on the line, um, which gives you that freedom to keep the best performing guy. And we don't know who that could be. I, I would love to see him gone, but it could be Jordan Phillips. Could have a, a suddenly comes together in year Jacob four. Jacob Phillips. Um, Jacob, yeah, that's what I was about yeah. to ask you next. Are, are we ready to move on from him, or are we willing to wait and see what Schwartz can do with him? I'm expecting this is a year where Brown fans stop moaning about Andrew Berry not cutting draft picks, because if we look back at the sort of the first couple of years where 
who do you want him cut instead of? It's like, did we want Anthony Schwartz cut so he could have Dalen Baldwin on the roster or something? There hasn't been enough good players because you need a critical mass of talented players to force the last guy off. And I think this is the year where you see it because I think, look at the wide receiver room. I'm looking at Felton. I'm looking at Schwartz. I can see both of those guys gone. I look at tight end. Well, suddenly um, Brian could go because he's got pay rise with proven performance escalator. So you could cut him. You could look at... Um, uh, Deaton might be okay at guard. Um, didn't really play last year, so that's one there. Um, we can look at the edge room. I don't think Thomas is a lock by any means. I think they could easily replace him with another draft pick. Defensive tackle, I think Jordan Elliott's probably on the bubble. Um, Tommy Togiai looks like he's halfway out the door. Linebackers, Phillips I could see gone. Um, and that's kind of it there. But uh, And Bell, I have no confidence. I know he's at UDFA, but Bell's on the bubble next year. Um, yeah, the Anthony Bell, not David yeah. Bell. Yeah, yeah. safety. Uh, <laughs> before anyone has me worried there for a minute, Jack. <laughs> That's my guy. All of those you know guys <laughs> could all be gone, and I would not be shocked. That's like ten guys that he's brought in, drafted UDFA's, um, and I, I reckon that whole idea of what it means um, in keeping guys around. People will be like, "Well, why did it change?" Well, suddenly there's lots of talent. You're not going to just get rid of Anthony Schwartz and Felton and. Phillips because you want to promote God knows some Tay Davis um, you need to have the quality there to drive everyone out and if there was something from the Dorsey regime that went well hey there was a lot of high picks passed over from Andrew Berry and he spent some of them well but there wasn't a lack of bringing guys through developing and driving the bottom of that roster so that's something that we need to do add lots of cheap draft picks so we can spend more money extending all these wonderful players whether it's Njoku, Garrett um, Watson etc. Well, and, and Jack, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build a pipeline. I mean, how many years have we looked at Baltimore and Pittsburgh at Kansas City, New England? They draft these guys in day two, three. So you mentioned Tony Fields earlier. Tony Fields comes out in year one, learn what's going on. Year two, you're going to become a special teams guy. Year three, maybe you get 20, 30% of snaps. Now the Browns say, hey, we're going to keep you around. So then come year four, year five, year six, you find out, can this guy be an everyday starter? And when you start developing that pipeline at these different positions, whether it's linebacker or corner, tight end, I mean, why is it that every other, I shouldn't say every other team, all of the good teams take these day two, day three starters and turn them into something? And we don't, right? Historically, we haven't, I should say. It's because when you keep a system in place, when you keep a regime in place, Pittsburgh knows I need this trade in outside linebackers. I'm going to draft this guy. He's going to sit on my practice squad. He's going to move up to my specials unit. He's going to move from that to a 20% role. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, where did they find this pass rusher? Well, they've been grooming him for two, three years. Somebody like Tony Fields, I think is a good example of that. He came out, he showed some things on special teams this year. I think next year we're going to look to see, is he serviceable in packaged formats, right? Can I bring him in on a third and eight and he gets his hands on something? Can he pass rush with his speed? You know, can he drop? Can he shade? You know, what can he do in his limited role to prove he's worthy of more time? Yeah. And I agree with you hundred percent on that. And, you know, back to the Steelers analogy, you know, let's say, okay, this is 2023. They're drafting for 2025, 2026. They're not drafting for 2023. And that's how they've been able to, you know, go from, all the linemen and the linebackers that they've had over the years to the next guy and to the next guy and then to the next guy. Um, but when you're winning, that's what you have to do. You have to keep drafting well, behind also, what you have, but you're not drafting for that year. You're drafting for two to three years out. And look what happened when they tried to speed up the process. They used all those picks, moved up to get Devin Bush. 
didn't really give him time to acclimate into their system. And blew up in and their he's face. One of the few draft pits. Yeah, not going to work. So out. He's one of their few draft pits that doesn't seem to work out. So when you try to do the Browns' way of doing things with draft picks, we can look around the league and say, "Well, they just tried this guy." Now that's not saying that Devin Bush isn't going to go on to some other team and be great. But even teams like the Steelers, who are perennial winning organizations, when they try to patch a hole quickly in a draft, it doesn't always work. You know, and, and I think that's where the Browns need to get to. And, you know, here we are. We're going to turn on this Bengals and Bills game, and we're going to see a hodgepodge Bengals defense, but they don't really have any stars. You know, later on, we're going to look at San Francisco, and I'd be hard-pressed if there's, you know, five people in here that can name us all five starters or four starters in the San Francisco secondary, right? So it's not always about going to get those big-ticket guys. It's not always about making those off-season shock plays. You know, it's about developing what you have and not relying solely on the Duran Paynes or the, you know, DeForest Buckners and those type of guys. So I'm going to get out of here in a little, uh, after this next question. Jack, it's always an honor and a pleasure to be up here with you, sir. Um, where are we looking? What, what do you guys feel like? I'm going to give you three positions, and I want you to put them in order that we go to first. It's wide receiver, defensive tackle, free safety. Which Label those in order of importance going into next season. Free agency or draft? Either or. Um, I'll go first. Defensive tackle. I receive a safety. I think everything on the defensive side of the ball gets fixed um, in free agency, so that'll all be done by then. I think it'll be draft for the wide receiver. They might go for some cheap guy um, that's one, two mil, but there's going to be no splash at wide receiver um, in free agency or trade. I kind of feel the same. Oh, I would, Ian, I'm sorry. I was going to say, you know, I think their first priority is going to be getting your role guys on the D-line. I think that's going to be the primary focus in free agency. I could also maybe see them going to find I, – I would encourage people, go look at some teams who had productive wide receiver threes and fours and fives that are coming into free agency that maybe you can – you know, I've said it for years, like a Noah Brown, right? Now, he's obviously had some hands issues this year in terms of catching, but this is a guy that's buried on a Dallas depth chart. You know, he wants to try to break out and see more targets. I would start looking at those because I do think Jack's right. I think wide receiver is probably going to be that round three in the draft, but I also see them using their second round pick on defensive line. And I think they're going to use their third round pick on their offensive side. Yeah. You know, so as much as I do love, you know, Darnell Washington, the big, the big lad out of uh, Georgia, I don't think they're going to be spending a, the 43rd pick on a tight end. True that. Um, yeah. I'm kind of, <clears throat> I'm kind of along the lines of the free agency looking to, you know, fix the defensive line. And like Jack said, most of the uh, issues on that side of the ball, draft i'm looking more for wide receivers in that um particular um part of it but there's also a, cur- a curveball i forgot to throw at you guys what are we doing with jed wills are we going one more year with him um what's what's going to be the story there why would it i think they're going to decline his fifth year option honestly really? i think they pick it up Ooh. and then they might trade him next year but they pick it up this year you've got absolute donkeys like cam robinson getting 17 18 million a year someone will take jed off our hands for the price he's on. So uh, that's going to wrap it up. I'll pass it over to Paul to do the official word as uh, the man with his name on the door. Well, yeah, guys, apologies for being so shy. I'm obviously new to spaces and uh, not as confident as you, Jack, on this uh, platform. But yeah, just want to finish up by saying go Browns. Yeah, thanks for having me up, gentlemen. Y'all have a great Sunday. Uh, we're about to kick off here pretty soon. Everybody be good out there. Jack, I'll look forward to talking to you in the upcoming week, sir. Jack already fired the Bengals special teams coach because the returner tried to return it out of the end zone. <laughs> Damn I love it. Okay.
guys, apologies for being so shy. I'm obviously new to spaces and uh, not as confident as you, Jack, on this uh, platform. But yeah, just want to finish up by saying, go Browns. <laughs>